You're listening to The Devoted Podcast, where our desire is to be women devoted to the Word of God. We're so glad you're here, and we pray you'll be challenged and encouraged as we look to God's Word together. Hey gals, welcome to The Devoted Podcast. So glad you're here. I am talking to you today back in my closet. Yep, back in the closet. And it's a nice, cozy, rainy day here in Oregon. I have a big, content smile on my face this morning. Last night, as I'm recording this, you guys are going to hear this Thanksgiving week, which we'll get to that in a second. But last night, we wrapped up the name study, a study of God on the names of God. Oh, goodness. It was just, it was such a rich and amazing time. I felt like the Lord showed me so much, taught me so much through working on that study, prepping the studies, teaching the studies. It's such a blessing to be in this spot and let the Lord use the ministry that he's given us. But that study was just, it was so great. It was eight weeks and it's always sad a little bit to see it end. It's also my type A self is like the most giant checkbox in the world because we start working on the studies almost a year in advance. Actually, it is a year. It might even be a little bit more. And just so much prayer and so much, but you just look at it and you see all the things that the Lord has done. So if I'm saying stuff and you're like, I don't I don't even know what you're talking about, AIM, what is the name study? If you were not able to join us, it's still available. So now all the teachings will be up on the Athe Women YouTube channel, which if you don't follow that, definitely subscribe because that's how you're going to see anytime we drop new, especially video content, that's where all of that lands, you know, so the devoted lives that we do once a month on Saturdays, those are on the Athe Women YouTube channel. And then all of the Bible studies that we've done, they put those, you can even follow it in like a little playlist and you can track it for the name study for Galatians. We've done the way of the word, which was Psalm 119. We did a Proverbs study. We've done John. So there's several out there. I'm pretty sure every time I am in a study, I say it's my favorite. So right now I still feel like I'm kind of in the name study. So it feels like my favorite at the moment. But we never get to the end. We never get to the depths of fully knowing who God is. But what a privilege to be able to study his word and see the things that he chooses to show us through his attributes and through his names. It's just remarkable. So I hope that if you didn't join us in that study, that you will. You can watch the teachings if you want. You can grab the book if that's helpful to you. Those are on the actually the Athe Gear page. So you go to our website and you go to gear and search for our Bible studies and you will find the books there that you can order. They're also, if you're local, you can get them in our bookstore too. But it was so great to just see so many of you guys in person and see your faces every week. I think that's the little bit of the saddest part when these studies end is I don't see y'all in my closet, right? You know, so we get to chat, but we don't get to see each other as much. So as always, I love it when you guys say hi when I see you at church or if I catch it devoted live. So say hi, because I love to see who is out there. And I do keep getting messages. Thank you so much for those people that are just finding the podcast for the first time. And it's funny, you know, we've been doing it for a couple years. And so you can kind of sit there and think, oh, you know, all of our athe gals know about the podcast. No, they actually don't. I mean, I've talked to old time athe creakers that are like, you do a podcast. So if the podcast has been a blessing to you, I would really encourage you to share it. The more you interact with it on algorithms, whether that's like leaving a review or those types of things on Apple or whatever platform that you listen to it on, it helps so other people can find us. And you guys know my heart on that is we just want women to be in the word. 
oh, we want women to be in the word so, so much. So whatever we can do to make that more accessible to gals, I'm all for it. So if it means they got to listen to my voice for a whole 40 minutes or however long I babble, we want the word, the word, the word to be in our ears, ladies. So, so I love that. So share it and get the word out there so that we can just be women who are fully devoted to the word and really putting it in our hearts and minds and every opportunity that we can. So today's podcast is a little bit casual, I suppose, for me, because I have a ton of scripture that's just kind of been mulling through my mind, especially this time of year, I think a little bit. And I just kind of wanted to talk through some of those. And I wanted to look at where we are, you know, this time of year is think this is Thanksgiving week when you guys are listening to this. So for me, it's just a couple weeks away, but I'm already thinking it. And I don't know about you guys, but pretty much soon as it turned November 1st, it's okay, it's Christmas. It just feels like, you know, the holidays kind of get all smashed together, which doesn't bother me. My husband really can't stand it. He has a hard, fast rule. There will be no Christmas music in this house until after Thanksgiving dinner. He used to say it had to be after Thanksgiving day. Like you couldn't do it until the day after, but he softened over the years and we actually get to play Christmas music after by Thanksgiving Eve, like that night, then we then we can. But I don't know, I get I love it. I love the decorating. I love having family around. I love so much about this time of year. So if I combine Thanksgiving, Christmas, as I talk about this holiday season a little bit, yeah, my husband will be cringing. But I think some of you guys are with me on this. But one of the things that I think about as I think about the holidays coming on us, and we think about the things that make us happy, the things that make us feel good, the things that we love so much. And there's so many good things that we get to enjoy. And there's no shame in that, right? There's just such amazing things about this time of year that we do get to enjoy. I do think most of those, especially I think for most of us, those revolve around the people that we get to share it with. You know, I think for me, this has been particularly on my heart because this has been my first year that I had my oldest away at college. Maybe I have a countdown app on my iPad that it's counting down the days till he comes home for Thanksgiving. Because when you start, when your kids grow up and, you know, some of the things that the memories and the day-to-day activities change, maybe even the things that you described as your happy little life, maybe as those things change a little bit, it does sort of shift our perspective so that when those are gone, we're like, oh, that is something that was really worth it, you know? And keeping the perspective of it's not necessarily maybe the stuff and all the materialism that can creep in this time of year, but it really is the memories and the people that we get to spend our time with. But happiness is something that I do think just gets a little distorted today. And gals, we're good at this one because we love to be, maybe we don't love it, but we are often ruled by feelings a lot. And sometimes happiness just is sort of equated to what feels good. You know, the world would look at happiness and they would say, it is about our feelings. You know, it's about not denying yourself anything, you know, have another cookie, do it all, indulge, indulge, indulge. That's what makes us happy, right? You know, do what you want. That's what the world would say. That's happiness. If it feels good, that's what we should do. And the thing is, is that's not new to us in 2022. That's been around forever. When I was looking up some quotes on how the world has looked at happiness all the way back to the Greeks, Aristotle, for example, he described happiness in this manner. He suggested that it could, should be the goal of life. It should just be our absolute pursuit that that's what happiness should be. 
I think somebody that makes happiness their pursuit, particularly on how they might define it. If they're going to define it in the things that is only doing what you want, only doing the things that feel good, that seems like a sad pursuit to me. If you look at happiness and some of the definitions that you will find, they'll say that happiness is a sense of peaceful satisfaction, that it connects the happiness with the attainment of harmony in life. Usually, happiness and pleasure go together. And this is where you kind of get with the Greeks, you get a whole lot of hedonism, which can be very destructive because too much of a good thing is never a good thing. And we know this, even though we really want to deny this, this time of year when we're doing all of the baking and we're making all the plans for all these things. But we know, we know that if we do nothing but, you know, eat all the pie that we want, we know we're not going to feel good at the end of that, right? Too much of something is not what we're supposed to do. In fact, I love how Lamentation says in, in Lamentations 324, it says, the Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I will hope in him. Portion control, right? We don't want to even think about what we should have as not having too much of something. But the Lord would say, oh, I can be your portion. And there's no limit to that. We can fully indulge in how much of the Lord we can take in, how much of his word we can take in. It's a flip. It's not what the world says, and it's not the easy thing you can buy on Etsy, and it's not the, you know, that nice thing that looks great on your shelf or in your closet. It's harder to equate our happiness in things of the Lord, but it's absolutely the most fulfilling thing to do that. So when we think about this, do we, what do, do we think God wants us to be happy? I think sometimes people think, no, 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 God's grumpy, and he only wants to impose rules and tell me what I can't do. That isn't the Lord's heart at all. Proverbs 15, 13 says, a glad heart makes a cheerful face, but by sorrow of heart, the spirit is crushed. A cheerful face. There's other places in scripture that talk about what our countenance should look like and, and how we can reflect the Lord, how we can have joy even in tribulation and in sorrow. And those things can seem so contradictory to each other. How is it that we could be happy in trial and in suffering and in pain? That's contrary to what the world would say is actually happiness. And that's why, you know, usually probably our failsafe needs to be that if it's something that the world says is good, probably means it's not. I'm sure somebody could send me a message and correct me on there's something maybe that the world would say. But if the world says it's right, the only way it's actually going to be right and good is if it's also in Scripture, if it's also what the Lord calls good and right. Then we can land on that. So I want to spend just a few minutes. I want to look into some of these scriptures and just kind of remind us of these. I'm just I'm praying that maybe one or two or three of these will just pop out to you as maybe something for you to meditate and just kind of marinate on over this next month or so when the world sends mixed messages about what it means to be happy. And maybe even for the moments that you start getting a little check in in your heart about and start to feel down. Because that's the other thing about this time of year. For many, it is the happiest time of the year. And they have people around them. And it is just wonderful, wonderful memories. And we want to rejoice in that for everyone. But they're also, for many, 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 this is a very difficult time of the year. You know, Christmas season and, you know, just basically whenever the holidays start for you. 
for some of us, that feels like November 1st. Maybe that's not till Thanksgiving. Maybe that's not till you actually see, you know, the Christmas trees start popping up around town. But for some, it is an immensely saddening season. You know, it can represent past memories of when loved ones were here that are no longer with us. Those make our heart hurt because we long for a day when we remember those times that were sweet. This holiday season is typically the time when alcohol use, drug use, suicide, all of those are at their highest during this next month, at their highest. So for many, it is a difficult time of year. And maybe happiness is the furthest thing from your mind if you're kind of in that camp and you find yourself at a really low time this time of year. But I think that scripture always has something for us, whether we are in those low seasons or those high seasons, whether you are looking forward to this holiday season so much for the memories that you're going to make for the family that you're going to be with, or if you're one that this season just kind of represents heartbreak, and maybe it's some loss will show up. When those thoughts on either end of that spectrum come to mind, I am praying that the scripture is what will ground you in what real happiness looks like, how we can really make the Lord our portion in this. Thomas Aquinas said, it is impossible for any created good to constitute man's happiness. So anything that we can create, anything that we can do, that we can't equate that to man's happiness. It says that he continued and he said, this is to be found, meaning happiness, not in any creature, but in God alone. And so with the created good that we come up with, that we decide that that thing or that particular experience or maybe even that memory is going to constitute happiness, if it's created by man, it's going to be empty. It's not going to be what we want it to be. It must be found in God alone. One of the things, and this is a drum that gets beat probably every year in Christian circles, but we must, must, must guard against materialism this time of year. You're like, okay, great, Amy. Bah humbug. Merry Christmas, everyone. It's a slippery slope. And we've all been here, man. You get this time of year and you start buying gifts for friends and family members and your kids and you just want to get all the stuff. Let's do it. Let's buy all the stuff and and this will make them happy. And and it does. It brings this, this joy, but it's it's kind of fleeting, isn't it? Because we've all had the kiddo that you get the brand new, the most amazing thing that they've been wanting all year. And you get that thing for them. And they love it Christmas morning, don't they? Right? They love it. They're so excited. And the the expression on their face is just priceless. I mean, truly, that is, I think, the best part. It, it really is for the giver to be able to see that expression and just to see the joy that it brings. But we also know three months, four months down the road, moms, you know this, when you find that toy just kind of laying on the floor in the middle of the stairs, or it got stepped on, or it got thrown in a puddle, it doesn't maintain that prize possession status that it has on that very first day. And why? Because it's something that's created by man. You know, it's a created good that we create. It's a thing. But we had something to do with it. Typically, if we have something to do with it, that's when we're going to find that's that created good. And that's man's happiness. We can't find real happiness in that. We can only find it in God alone. First Timothy 6 says this, starting in verse 6. Now there is great gain in godliness with contentment. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. 
But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith, pierced themselves with many pangs. It's a dire warning from Paul to Timothy about really our lust for stuff, our lust for money, our lust for the next big thing, the next, even if it's not a big thing, we just need this thing. We just want this thing with our kids throughout the year. You know, whenever you you run to the store when your kid's are little and, and that never fails, if you take your kiddos, they want something else, you know, that's not on the list. Oh, can I have this? Can I have this? Can I have that new shirt? Can I have that new toy? Can I have gum? Can I, you know, and so early, early on, we started having this conversation with our kids and training them to say, is that a want? Or is that a need? And teaching the difference. And I'm putting this in things for our kids, because yes, it's absolutely applicable. But this is so applicable to us. When we are thinking of the things that we want, or we think we need, ask yourself, make yourself go through that exercise with that thing. Do I need this or do I just want it? My husband always had a really good practice with the kids that if there was something that they just so, so badly wanted, we first help them walk through, is this a want or a need? And if it was a want, then we would talk about, okay, if you want that thing, why don't you wait? And he'd set a time, he'd set a week, he'd set two weeks, kind of depending on on how old they were. But set a time limit And then at the end of that time limit, see if you still want that thing. But we have a tendency to be very spontaneous and we just kind of, we act in the moment and we just sort of just go, we just want to do it. And we can kind of get ourselves in trouble when you start going into this time of year and people will start spending money they don't even have. Credit cards can be a blessing and a curse, right? Because for some, they think that, oh, it just means I have however much money I can just, you know, kind of keep kicking the can down the road and paying it off later. But really, that's that slippery slope, right? That's sliding into getting yourself into maybe even ruin and destruction. Yikes. But we see that. And finances can be that way if we're not self-controlled about the things that we think that we need, because maybe they're not needs, maybe they're more just wants, and maybe we don't need that. And what do we think even about talking about happiness in the same vein as contentment? Contentment's tough for us. I love Paul in Philippians, you know, what he's writing to the Philippians, he's talking to them from prison. He doesn't have stuff. His needs are taken care of. But I don't imagine that he had all of the luxuries that he might have enjoyed. When he's speaking in Philippians, he says in chapter four, verse 11, he says, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, we always remember that last part. We always remember, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. But we usually think that it means to enable us to make the free throw or whatever the things that the Lord's just going to somehow give you superhuman strength to to do something because you can do all things through Christ. But it's really totally hijacking that verse out of context because it's actually talking about being content with what you have and finding just peace and plenty and contentment in having nothing, maybe even being in jail. 
maybe even going through real suffering and trial. Contentment, being in peace, being happy, even in that scenario. And that's so contrary to what we think, because we think that the happiness equates to the stuff. But it doesn't. He continued to warn us in Hebrews about just, you know, the love for money. He says in Hebrews 13, 5, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Oh, what a sweet verse that is. Now, notice it's, it's saying that we are to keep our life free from the love of money. It's not saying that you got to take all your money and just get rid of it because all money is evil. There's people that go that far. They're not reading the text as it's written because that's not what he's saying. He is not saying that money is evil, but he says the love of it is the love of it is something that we should really guard against. That is not where we want to be. But that in peace that what should give us the true happiness, again, the Lord being our portion, he says that the Lord says to us, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So you take that, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You stick that and you put that in perspective when Paul is writing to the Philippians in jail. And that verse that we just read that he says he knows how to be brought low. He knows how to abound in every circumstance. But he's learned that it is the Lord that strengthens. It's the Lord that doesn't leave us. It's the Lord that doesn't forsake us. Our stuff, our money, all the things that we think we want to acquire this time of year, all of those things will go away. But the Lord will never leave us, will never forsake us. That's contentment. That's peace. That's happiness. And we do know that the Lord does take care of us. He does take care of us. It said in there that, you know, that we, we have clothing, we have food. If we have that, we are content. Those are the things that we need, right? That's separating our needs from our wants. In Philippians 4.19, just a little further down with, from what we read a minute ago, he says, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. I don't even think we can fathom what that looks like. Now, again, when we hear the word riches, we like to think that that must mean monetary. That must mean our stuff and the things that he's just going to bless us with something amazing, a new car, a new house, a new job. But you really need the pronoun right before riches to get what is really being talked about here, because it says according to his riches in glory, which is in Christ Jesus. The riches that he's talking about are the ones that don't fade. They're the ones that we don't give to goodwill in six months or a year or five years. His riches in Christ Jesus are the ones that we're looking at eternally. I think whenever we have a conversation about what makes us really happy, I always think it's a great opportunity for me to think about eternity. It can contrast eternity and what we will have eternally with Christ versus the worst possible day that you could be having here on earth. And there are some really hard, hard trials. One thing that I think I underestimated coming into ministry and getting to speak with women is the depth of hardship and pain that people really do go through here on earth. There are some of you probably listening right now that I can't even fathom the depths of the pain that you've gone through here on earth. And it is heartbreaking sometimes the things that people go through. Hard, hard stuff. Losing children. That one for me, I as a mom, that that's right. That's probably the worst possible thing I can think of, that pain. So the world has all kinds. This life, this time that we have right now, it hurts. And there's a lot of sad days in it. But this is where we need to exchange that for his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Because his riches and glory in Christ Jesus are for eternity, not for our momentary affliction right now that Paul talks about. It's fleeting. It's painful. 
It's not fun, but it's fleeting. Our riches in Christ Jesus are for an eternity. They don't go away. And they will always, always, always completely satisfy. Paul then goes on in 2 Corinthians, and he says in 2 Corinthians 12, 10, he says, For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I'm pretty sure I don't default to when I feel my weakness as a strength. See how the word and the world is just kind of flipped. It's going to be opposite. The world sees our money and the things that we have. Those are happy. Those are the things that will give us that strength. And the Lord says, his word says, no, 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 no. When we're weak, that's when we're strong. For the sake of Christ, I'm content with weakness. That's a tough one to get to a place where you're going to say, Lord, I'm content in this frailty. I'm content that people are insulting me. I'm content in this difficult financial hardship that I'm in, persecutions, calamities, anything that might befall us. We are encouraged in the word to be content in those things and not find our strength in us, but find it in the Lord, his riches and glory, his riches and glory. I love that so much. Psalm 37, three through five also says, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him and he will act. This is a verse that just came to mind as I was thinking about this. I know it's not directly talking about happiness, but we equate happiness with getting the desires of our heart. But sometimes, you know, the desires that we want, the things that are the desires of our heart might not be in line with the things that God sees as good things for us. They might not be in accordance and in agreement with his riches and glory. And so it's it's something that I think is important for us to pray and say, Lord, would you make the desires of my heart your desires? Would you align what I want and what I think I need up with what you want for me, for the good things that you have for me. Make those one and the same. But it's that very first few words, and we see this in many, many places in Scripture, in Psalms and the Proverbs, trust in the Lord. It's four simple words. But whenever, any time of year, that anxiety starts to creep in of, how are we going to do this? How are we going to afford this? Lord, we, maybe it is a need. Lord, I need this, and I don't know how to do this. Trust in the Lord. You know, in Proverbs, when it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Isn't that a comfort that if we trust in the Lord, if we lay our thing down and we say, Lord, I want to be content and I want to have the desires of my heart be in line with what you have. And just trust him fully to do all the things that he wants to do. We've already read, it's his riches and glory. It's the things that he wants for us that are good things. His good looks different than ours sometimes, but it actually means that it's better than what we think. So those are some glimpses of, I think, how the Lord would have us view happiness. But here's another one on, I think, maybe what real happiness looks like that maybe we don't talk about very much in this conversation about what happiness is. And that is that true, true happiness looks like forgiveness. Psalm 32 verses one and two says, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. 
Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and whose spirit there is no deceit. Oh, this is where it's at right here, gals. Whether we leave this earth having nothing or whether we leave this world as millionaires, this issue on whether we had our sins forgiven is where true happiness is. He even uses the word there, blessed. That's happy. Happy is the one whose transgression is forgiven. Transgression, big, fancy Bible word for sin, our sin. And every one of us have sinned. Through Christ, it's forgiven. That's what happiness looks like. We are happy if our transgression, if our sins are forgiven. Whose sin, it even says, is covered. When in scripture talks about that he, he remembers our sins no more. He forgets. We forget anything that somebody does against us. Our memories are not so great when it comes to what we went to the store for or why we just walked into the kitchen. But man, if it's something, if somebody has transgressed against you, if somebody has done something that has harmed us, we do not forget that, do we? No, we hang on to that thing. The Lord knows nothing of that. If we ask the Lord to forgive us of our sins, we look to the Lord, our sins are covered. They're forgotten. That's what happiness looks like. Charles Spurgeon, he says, I do not know when I am more perfectly happy than when I'm weeping for sin at the foot of the cross. Putting some contrasting images in there, right? You know, we don't think of happiness and weeping in that concept, but he's saying, never so perfectly happy as when I am having that realization that all my sins, everything that I have done has been forgiven. It's forgotten because of Jesus. That is his riches and glory. And that is what real, real happiness looks like. It looks like our sins being forgiven. It also can look like who we hang out with. The Psalms tells us what we mean by this. So in Psalm 1, let's just read the first couple verses here. It says, blessed is the man. So again, that's the Bible's way of saying happy. Happy is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. So what is the counsel of the wicked? What does that look like? It can look like a lot of things, and boy, these days it sure doesn't seem real hard to figure out. There is so much wickedness in our world today, and it's masked in things or that is even deemed entertainment. I get real concerned about this, and I'm praying about this personally because I know that there are lots of things that are out there. I'm particularly thinking of the music world right now. I recently became aware because not things I listen to, but a friend of a friend shared a video of a very popular song these days. And I made the mistake of actually watching 30 seconds of this video. And I truly have never seen in my life such wickedness, evil, nearly demonic. And ladies, it's one of the top songs that our kids, probably even as young as junior high, are listening to. And I do hope mamas, grandmas, aunts, man, have conversations with the young kiddos that you're around. And they're not kiddos anymore, right? They're teenagers, they're in college, they're, but have conversations about the counsel of the wicked, of standing in the way of sinners. Are they taking in things that are just wicked? And maybe this gets brushed off and we hear it from kids. They're like, you know, everybody listens to this. It's not that big a deal. 
you know, you hear people say, well, remember back in the old days when we'd say, well, I don't really read the lyrics, you know, or I don't really listen to the lyrics. I, you know, I just like the music or whatever. Our pastor says, and probably many others have said, all music is soul music. What are you letting into your soul? What are you taking in in your eyes? And is it just wicked? It's not even masquerading anymore as something that we could deem as like, oh, that might be okay. And I have to say, if you get to a place where you see some of this evil and wickedness and you that comes to your mind of, well, you know, I guess this isn't that big a deal. I, w- I was talking to somebody that they were talking to another mom and they were they were talking through some things that some kids were making some poor choices. And one of the moms said, well, it could be worse. At least they're not doing you know, fill in the blank. I just don't think those words should come out of our mouths, moms and gals. (laughs) I just, it could be worse. No, 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 no. We want to take that captive and we want to go, is my kid or am I walking in the counsel of the wicked? Am I taking in things with my eyes, with my ears, with my mind that is just wicked? that is in the way of the sinners. The psalmist is saying, blessed is, is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. So check that. Are you, are your kids, are the people that you hang out with, are they into things that are just wicked? And maybe you think like, Amy, that's just too strong of a word. Come on, it's not wicked. It's just a song. It's just a word. It's just, you know, whatever you have deemed that is just really not that bad. Again, whatever the thing is that you think is maybe not that bad, measured against scripture. And if scripture defines it as sin, run away. Don't sit with it. Don't stand with it. Don't have any part of it. Go the opposite direction and take your kids with you, okay? Because they are being sucked into these things. And our world has just wickedness that is rampant. And the thing that is a problem that if we don't call these things out, What starts to happen is the younger generation starts looking at those things as normal. We did a podcast at some point, I don't don't remember, but we called it normalizing sin, where things that used to be shocking, we might go, well, I don't know, could be worse. No, let's swing the opposite direction of that. Let's come drastically back to what God's word says and identify the things that are walking in the counsel of the wicked, standing with sinners and sitting in the seat of scoffers. And let's get out of there because the psalmist is saying it's we are happy if we aren't part of that. And then he says what the answer is and how we do define happiness and how we will define delight. He says our delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law, he meditates day and night. That's why I think it's so important for us to keep scripture just at the tip of our tongue. And if not there yet, man, don't condemn yourself for that. Just make a point of changing that. If when you're in a situation and you're like, I wish a scripture was coming up right now, but it's not, well, look up some scriptures and just start writing them down. Write it on a post-it note, stick it by your sink, stick it in your car, stick it on your mirror, even if it's just one verse and let that just marinate in your mind. If you don't know what scriptures, hey, take the ones, I'll list all of these references in the notes and you can go and look all of these up and you can write them out and just meditate on these because what the psalmist is telling us is that is where our delight is. Our delight, our happiness, our joy is found in the law of the Lord. And that's just not going to disappoint. As you meditate on what the Lord has on his riches and glory, on an eternal perspective, 
and what true contentment and happiness looks like in Christ, the forgiveness of our sin, not resting in the stuff that we have. Oh, it's such a shift, isn't it? It's such a change in the best possible way. Verse three in Psalm one continues and it says, talking about that person that we were just saying, his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night. And then verse three goes on to say, he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. We want that, right? We want to be able to resonate with that and go, yes, I am being fruitful in my life. I'm prospering. I'm doing the things that the Lord has me to do. And I love that picture of the tree, right? Just planted, fixed, having a firm foundation with roots that just go deep, 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 deep down into the ground, which is into going, feeding towards the water, right? Which the the word is the water. And the more we take in the word, the more we marinate on that and just get those roots deeper and deeper, we are going to be a tree that just isn't shaken by all the things that might come our way. And it says, because of that, we'll, we'll yield fruit. We won't wither, but we're going to be able to stand and have that strong, strong foundation because we have delighted in not the things that the world has to offer, not their definitions of happiness, but we have chosen to delight in the law of the Lord and meditate on that. C.S. Lewis said this, he, he said, God cannot give us happiness and peace apart from himself because it is not there. There is no such thing. I wonder sometimes if we believe that. Do we believe that we can have happiness and peace apart from the Lord? If we look back at that psalm that talked about the forgiveness of our sins and how we are blessed when our transgressions are forgiven, when our sins are forgotten, that picture of peace and happiness truly is only possible with the Lord, because the Lord is the only one that can forgive our sin. We all have it. We all have to deal with it. But that is the problem. We can't deal with it. There's nothing we can do. And that's why we need Jesus so badly. We need that perfect sacrifice to just believe in what he has done on the cross. It's just so amazingly simple that we just need to believe that he loves us, that he came, that he died, that he rose again, that he covers our sins. And that's what peace and happiness look like. It really is that simple. And so we can't have happiness. We can't have peace unless we have that, unless we have the Lord. There is no such thing as happiness apart from the Lord. So this week, as you're going about all your Thanksgiving baking and shopping and man, Black Friday. Is Black Friday even a thing anymore? I feel like it's like an entire month now. But maybe let's keep these scriptures in our mind. Let's keep a good biblical perspective of what it really does mean to be happy. Yes, enjoy the blessings that the Lord has given us to be able to, if you can, buy gifts for people and those things. But recognize that our happiness, true happiness, true happiness, true peace, true contentment, won't come from the things that we acquire. It won't even come from our experiences and our memories. True peace and true happiness cannot exist apart from the Lord. Thank you for tuning in to The Devoted Podcast. We are a ministry of Athey Creek Christian Fellowship in West Lynn, Oregon. For more resources, or if you need prayer or encouragement, send us an email at devotedpodcast at atheycreek.com.